0: Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series, where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about L&D with me. Hi, my name is Sandhya Lockenball and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to RedefineInstruction.com for the latest trends on l In this episode of Redefine Instruction, I speak with Kimberly Goh about interactive stories and videos. Kimberly is a freelance interactive video designer and e-learning expert. She originally got her degree in computer science from the University of California in Irvine and later returned to UC Irvine to get her certification in e-learning instructional design. She's also studied interactive storytelling and it's this combination of technology and storytelling that is her real passion. Kimberly specializes in creating interactive stories for corporate clients to take their training to the next level. Her interactive videos are different from traditional e-learning. They incorporate action mapping, story arc, motion, graphics, and decision points that lead to behavior change and powerful business results. Kimberly creates interactive videos using many different types of media, including live video footage, animated beyond videos, still images, and graphics. During this episode, Kimberly talks about how interactive stories differ from traditional stories, designing strategic characters for stories, design story elements, why interactive stories are more successful than others, tools that lend themselves to interactive stories, feedback scenarios, decision points, and adding call to action, building personas, and much more. You can view her portfolio at theinteractivestory.com. She also regularly shares interactive video tips and tools via her YouTube channel, Kimberly Go Interactive. You can find a link to the YouTube channel in the show notes. If you haven't already, you should follow Kimberly's YouTube series on e-learning scenarios video. Find a link to that in the show notes as well. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kimberly Goh. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Redefine Instruction. I'm really excited about this conversation today.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much, Sandhya.
0: Yes, yes. So before we jump into any questions, I really want to kind of know where you're at in your journey like how did you choose instructional design and then Mm -hmm. how did you transition from instructional design into interactive storytelling
1: yeah yeah so it has been a journey so I started out you know I had a computer science degree you know kind of from a long time ago and then I when I graduated I did not I I did programming because that's what kind of you did back then and I just didn't like it Mm -hmm. so I ended up and eventually getting into business consulting and, you know, kind of marketing. And I was dabbling in a whole bunch of areas. I ended up in ed tech. That was kind of what I was doing at the time when I made the transition to the, um, to the e-learning field, Mm -hmm. because I realized I didn't really want to be teaching children. That was, that was what ed tech was kind of leaning me towards. I wanted to teach adults. I liked education, but it was in this adult space. So that's how I ended up going back to, I went to UCI. They have a, uh, an e-learning instructional design certification program. I did that like, you know, the whole, the whole program. And from that, that gave me the grounding I needed because I just I when you have a computer science background, you know the skill set, but you don't know the tools. And right. I needed to understand, you know, how do you storyline and how, you know, what just kind of the lingo and all of that sort of stuff. But it helped me get started in my freelance career. Mm-hmm. And then from there, what happened was I, I stumbled across Anna Bramowitz's work in the uh, interactive storytelling uh, mm-hmm. coaching program that she has. And I, I just, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, I, that is something I want to do. So I enrolled in her program. I'm actually still involved in her program today. And she taught me how to do interactive storytelling. And that was the, that was a real light bulb moment for me because it went from, I was doing traditional e-learning as a freelancer.
0: Right.
1: I was doing traditional e-learning, which is you know, all over the board. It mm-hmm. could be all the, all different types of things. And I think right. that it was just being able to focus on one type of it was scenario building, mm-hmm. storytelling, mm-hmm. that really helped me to focus in. And then as I progressed, I realized that my particular skill within that subset, so niching down even further, was video, because I know how to use Camtasia, I know how to use beyond. And I, I kind of have the feeling that the world is moving towards video in general, right? You know, you look at just it's in social media it's it's all over the place I'm like why not just focus in only on the interactive video piece and then go from there and it's been that I'm so glad I did Mm -hmm. um for me that was just like a really good fit and um yeah so that's that's what I do
0: (laughs) what a transition and and yeah interactive storytelling is such a niche market right Mm -hmm. it's so targeted. so And it's really unknown in in the bigger e-learning space. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you a really basic question. For for the sake of my listeners, can you define what interactive storytelling is?
1: Yeah. So I believe that interactive storytelling, at least the way that I have learned it and and, uh, that I believe it works the best, is when you follow a story arc similar to what you might see in the movie industry today or on Netflix. When you watch a story there, you're not just watching disparate scenarios right it's an entire story it follows what's called the hero's journey which is you know you've got a hero at the beginning and then things aren't good and there's a problem an inciting incident and then they you know maybe meet a mentor and it takes them through challenges to a happy ending i hope right, right? right. at the end you hope for a happy ending well i mean that story arc is so perfect for for training and development because first of all the story arc itself is a very natural way for people to engage with any kind of learning it's what we that's the reason why people when they get home from work they flip on netflix because they want to engage with stories right. so you already know there's an engagement level that's much higher than point click next type of e learning it's it's a very different it's entertainment based so that's i think to me that that story arc is huge and then, of course, there's the whole, you know, you've actually got to be teaching something in addition, it's not pure entertainment. And that's what that meshing of the two is, is kind of, to me, what interactive storytelling is. Mm-hmm. And if you can include video instead of still images, then it's interactive video, but it's yes. the same story arc in either case.
0: Yes, yes. And yeah. you kind of led into my next question. Like, why why are interactive stories more effective than traditional e-learning? What, what differentiates them and why is it, why do you get, it, get in, get out, deliver what you need to deliver in like a short span and it's effective and it resonates with the audience?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, you know, they say that humans are wired for story. And I believe that it's true because, you know, I mean, in the old days, people used to tell stories around the campfire, right? And the stories were the way that people could, in a way, simulate what would happen if they go out and they're you know hunting a bear and you know some the bear turns and attacks. The storyteller tells you, then you know you better run because right. the you know bad things happen if you don't. And so, because that has been so ingrained in human like history and literature, it's a natural way to learn. And I think that um, part of the challenge is that. when you are learning how to develop e-learning or instructional, you're in the instructional design schools, they don't emphasize story. And so, so much is lost when you focus in only on like just these information, like it's a big information dump. And there's like very kind of disparate bits of information. It's very lecture oriented, big, long lecture, a bunch of information, like a PowerPoint lecture, followed by a, a quiz or a knowledge check at the end. And people don't want to learn that way, really. Because when you think about it, nobody would turn on, if you turned on Netflix and there was a show that had a long lecture with a quiz at the end, would you watch that show?
0: I I wouldn't last five
1: seconds. (laughs) Yeah, you you could tell. So when you look at what's working in popular culture, that is the way I believe that that training and development should go. That's what we should learn from. Even marketing has learned storytelling is important. I mean, that's what advertising, it's always like, you know, some kind of a story is in that Definitely. in that ad, right? There's always right. a hero, there's some. So we need to learn within the L area. We need to learn what works with humans today rather than this is what I learned. This is how I know it. This is what I was taught. I have to do it this way. So I think there's a, there's a shift that needs to take place in our own mentality. But once you do it and you show an interactive story to a a client and you see the light bulb go on, you know that, you know, you picked right. Like an interactive story is to me almost always better than just straight up, you know, Yeah. Traditional e-learning. That's just my personal. Yeah, opinion.
0: no, I think you hit the nail on the head. You you know, yeah. you're you're talking about the traditional lecture PowerPoint followed by comprehension questions. That's that's the kind of piece what in, in L and D we talk about cognitive load, right? When you're mm-hmm. when you move towards that interactive storytelling, it takes that that cognitive load off of you. You're kind of going through the piece as an entertainment and then you're right. learning in the background. It's, it's, it's not so heavy on the brain right. and because it's chronologically connected and that's how the filing system in our brain works. It's easy to, to remember it and walk away and and still be able to learn the pieces and connect them together. Yeah. So I,
1: I think- you know, I want to, I want to add something to what you just said because not only from a cognitive thinking perspective, but the real power of the story is the emotional, the affective. Yes part the reason that you watch shows or that you watch you listen to stories is because you're emotionally you care about the character right. right they make sure to care you care about them right at the very beginning and that is the real reason for the engagement it's not because you want to learn a lot it's because you care what happens to them so I think that those two pieces in conjunction are what makes stories so powerful because it addresses both the head and the heart
0: right agreed, agreed. yeah um Let's dive a little bit deeper into your recipe, right? So mm-hmm. it's not something that's thrown together. It's obviously very strategic, right? You mm-hmm. have you have the video elements, you have the story piece, you have the learning components, right? So if I was to break apart how you put an inter- a single um, interactive story that you've made, um, like you have a story, you have decision points in there mm-hmm. because it's interactive, you have a call to action, and then in the background, you have that running thread of the story. Right. What is that secret recipe behind it? Can you break it down for us?
1: Yeah, so the secret recipe is something that's not obvious from the, the surface, but it's action mapping. I mean, I use Kathy Moore's action mapping methodology in all of the work that I do because you have an action mapping For in case your listeners are not familiar with it is a methodology where it's it's completely different than traditional like, you know, Addy type of stuff. You you actually are going and talking to you're interviewing the SMEs, mm-hmm. the subject matter experts. You're you're really understanding what is their business goal. So it's a focus already on what's the business goal. And then you ask them, what do people need to do to achieve that goal? Not what do they need to know? And that, that is huge. So this interview process is what differentiates the work that I do from like, you know, kind of, I think more traditional e-learning. I'm actually, I start out by doing practitioner interviews. I ask these questions, what do people need to do? Why are they not doing it? And then when I get those answers, those populate the decision points. So the good, you know, what you need to do, that becomes the good, you know, to right choice. And then the distractors, you know, a couple of distractors in each decision page, those are the why, you know, why people aren't doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the fact that the scope of the story itself is limited. You don't have an infinite number of decision points. You maybe have like four to seven would be about, seven would be the max. Okay. So just knowing that when you're going into the conversation, the SME knows I've only got seven decisions that I'm allowed to work with. I see. So they it forces them to focus in on what are the most important actions people need to take, and what are the most problematic, dis, uh, like distractors or you know confusion points for people. So it for the, the structure of the story itself is what forces the uh, SME's conversation to focus in and become very very like, tr- and it's all remember it's all targeted towards reaching a business goal. Right. So in the end, these interactive videos or interactive stories actually move the business forward towards a particular business goal. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, the key. It's it's not just like, a, oh, this cool, like interactive thing, we and then people watch it, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. You are actually, the C-suite is able to see there is a marked change in behavior or marked change in results when people go through this type of training, as opposed to, you know, kind of brain dump sort of Uh, Information dump training. So I think that's also what differentiates it is that it produces better business results than a traditional uh, methodology might do.
0: Right, and I heard that you have the behavioral objectives that are embedded in there, which is which is what most good e-learning, good storytelling is all about is the behavior change. Yes. Um, Yes. Can you dive a little bit into what kind of tools lend themselves to interactive stories? Like I I know you mentioned Camtasia. Are there any Mm -hmm. other tools in the market that are Really primitive yeah. type of. Yeah.
1: So okay. So for the interactive piece, so this is the decision pages where you come to a place and you've got to make a choice. I use right. Articulate Storyline, uh, ar- ar- you know, three hundred and sixty. That's what that's my tool of choice because I feel it's the most robust. Of course, you have to be able to handle, you know, kind of multiple choice decision buttons, and in my case, I usually am using variables. To track you know what the decisions are that they make so at the you know possibly at the end you need to give some sort of feedback or account it's good to have the variable uh, ability so that is the tool that i mainly use for the decision points The the over like that's the structure that holds everything together within that um i might either use you know possibly storyline characters if i was doing a interactive story but because i focus more on interactive video um i tend to use beyond for the animated videos when you know when they're called for and if it's a live video um, that's provided by the client uh-huh. then i am going to use probably a tool like camtasia to to chop that up and then import just the specific pieces you know maybe edited pieces of the movies mp4s into storyline I so in in either case i'm always taking a an, either an animated video pieces or or live video pieces that are chopped up, I'm pulling them into Storyline and putting them on separate slides. And then you come to decision point. So that's kind of the way that I do my tools. Camtasia has the capacity for doing interactive video. I talk about that quite a lot on my YouTube channel because a lot of people can't afford Storyline 360. It's just, it's a very expensive product and it's great, but it's expensive. Mm -hmm. So Camtasia is kind of like a cheaper way of doing it because they have hotspots. So you right. can create interactive videos. They're just not quite as robust as I like. So for my client work, I always use Storyline 360.
0: Right, right. And all very well-known, easy to use, user-friendly mm-hmm. tools, which is, which they is what I love about it. Yeah. Um, what are the different types so so the big piece of interactive storytelling is the interactive piece right mm-hmm. um, where the learner has to do something what are the different types of interactions that you have built into your videos or, or, yeah. or interactive stories
1: so I I tend to stick with a, a very simple structure for the interactive pieces I don't do d- drag and drops and a bunch of crazy things you know it's it, there's not a lot there's no click and reveals it's it's just because the decisions are so power-packed from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. they are very challenging decisions. So when you get to that place, you know, you maybe have had a setup in which the characters, you know, get it ramping up and realizing what the problem is. And then you come to a decision point, which is a static screen. And there's usually two, maybe three buttons on it. And those buttons just very succinctly describe three different choices. And so at the top, you know, what next? Mm-hmm that's that it's as simple as that and then the decision all of the thought that came from those practitioner interviews and I boiled it down to like two lines per button Mm -hmm. that's where all of the thinking goes into it and so then when you get to that decision from the user standpoint or the viewer standpoint if they get to that screen and it's like dang I don't know which one to pick they all sound good you know I mean so you and they have to really think and then I usually have a timer running with some yes. noise, you know, yes. like ticking so clock that. right to, yeah. to step up yeah. the pressure a little <laughs> exactly. bit. Exactly. The gamification score, element. <laughs> there's a scoring element where it's like how many, you know, how many times you get it right on the first try. You know, you can always try again. Right. But those are the things that's so that's the way that the decision points work. It's it's it's, it's and it's pretty much always the same, at least in, in the ones that I've been creating. I keep it simple because I, I find when you have too many different types of, you know, from a user interface. Perspective. If you have too many different types of interactions, it's confusing to the learner. They're more then they got to figure out how to use this new interaction that you've created with a drag and drop. When right. last time it was a multiple choice, right? And who wants to have to think about those things when you're in a story? That's the whole point. Is like That's this good. is a story. You don't want those interactions to detract from the story or even take you out of the story. It happens in the middle, like a choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. You come to the decision point. What do you do? And what you do determines what you see next. I see. And I I I think that's the key. So it's actually simple, but only because I did all that work in the background figuring out what the decision should be. Yeah,
0: yeah. So talking about all the background work, you mentioned practitioner interviews. How do you ensure that, this story or this scenario is going to work for this audience because our audience differs constantly, right? So Mm -hmm. how do you make sure that the story that you're choosing is going to jive with the audience that you're presenting it to?
1: Yeah. So, so much of that comes again from that action mapping methodology. I mean, I, I, when I speak first, I talk usually to the SME, um, you know, who may or may not actually know, for instance, if the SME is a doctor, Mm -hmm. But the problem is about something that the nurses are doing. So the actual target audience is a nurse Mm -hmm. in a hospital setting. The doctor, I mean, I would interview them because they they uh, might be the SME. They kind of know, you know, what should happen. But then I interview the practitioners who are the nurses. They're the people on the ground. They're the real audience members. And you know, you interview the best the best performers amongst that that group, the best, you maybe the head nurses, the ones who are actually doing the, the patient work, who can describe to you why things actually are not happening. The doctor might have no idea because he's not actually doing that work. So the, the key is to actually figure out who your audience is and to talk to those practitioners rather than only relying on the SME because you want to be grounded in reality. Right. And then from that, there's a lot of things that are, Kathy Moore covers in her book, Map It, where she talks about you, You from those practitioner interviews, you can distinguish, is this an environmental problem? Um, for instance, in that nurse scenario, the one that she uses in the book, I think it's a fabulous example. She says, you know, if the, if the problem is that the, the problem, the business problem is nurses are in, the sharps are not being disposed of properly. And so nurses are injuring themselves with sharps. Mm-hmm. What do you do? when you get that injury do you pour betadine on the wound do you you know do like you call the the helpline or do you do you know, wash it under water what do you do so that's the choice mm-hmm. and the problem is that in the in the real hospital environment part of the problem might be that the sharp disposal container mm-hmm. is not mounted near the patient's bed so here's the nurse working with the patient, when they come to dispose of sharp, the sharp containers all the way across the room, well, then, you know, there's a good chance, you know, that something could happen. Right. And so that's an environmental problem. And you identify that up front during these practitioner interviews. And then that's not going to be solved with training, you can have the best training in the world, if you don't solve the environmental issue, then it will never work. So you, you, you give it gives you the chance. Now you're more of a performance consultant, right? Yes. You're not just a an order taker, you're the performance consultant. And you, as you're having this conversation, you can point out to the doctor, the head nurse, you know, since this is a problem, could you guys take care of moving those sharp disposal containment units nearer to the patient bed? Mm. And they take care of that. And that eliminates say 50% of the problem right there. So that environmental piece is huge. Okay. And then you've got things that are like the knowledge gaps. Maybe they don't know what to do. That can be solved by training probably. Um, There could be a skill gap. Maybe they just haven't had enough practice disposing of the sharps. That can probably be solved by training. If you have a motivational problem, the nurses do not want to, like, I don't know, dispose of the sharps properly. That's a whole nother thing. You might not be able to solve that with training. So I think what I I love about action mapping is it it solves the problem from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. But you as an, an instructional designer, you're only focused on the things that actually can help, training can help. You're not trying to solve stuff that has to be solved yeah, that's some peripheral. other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that peripheral. I mean, it's peripheral to us as trainers, but right. it's hugely important, probably maybe even more important for the business for right. the organization. Right. So I like it. I like action mapping because it's very practical and it actually gets results in a business environment. Instead of just being in an L&D world, it, it opens your mind to how can I be a business consultant, performance consultant for this organization? Right. And right. I, I that to me was a light bulb moment. Reading her book really Yes. I I yes. can it changed my life. Training's not the
0: solution to every problem.
1: It's not. <laughs> it, I mean, it, we it, don't want to admit that sometimes. It's kind of hard to admit, but yeah. it's really But then when,
0: when when it doesn't close the gap, there are other things that are going on. Yes. And and I and what you spoke to was that that true front end need needs analysis where mm-hmm. you know it's not just the training that you're analyzing the environment the technology the knowledge the skill gap everything which goes into it feeds into how the decisions and the learning is going to be um, designed yeah. Let's talk about the characters. You talked about animated characters and you talked about storyline characters. Like, How mm-hmm. do you go about designing the characters for a story? Are they inspired by real life people or are they completely fictitious?
1: Well, let's see. So there's a third type of character and that is if there's a live video that's pre-existing that the mm-hmm. client has um i have one of those on my portfolio where it shows a contractor you know working yes, and showing somebody that. how to do something great. so it's yeah. so that's a live video so there the characters are established already because it's pre-existing video so the live video is one type of thing where you know you you are working with the material you have and you're adding decisions to it mm-hmm. but with for instance with beyond you can completely customize your character. I mean, you could down to the clothing they wear, you can have it be brand, you know, branded to the brand colors, like match the brand colors of the organization. So generally what I do is I, you know, during those initial conversations with the SME and the practitioners, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking through, okay, so who should the main character be? And you, you know, there's one protagonist, because if you have too many, it dilutes the story. So you know, I focus on a, who should that main character be? They should be representative of the audience, somebody they can relate to. Um, and then from there, I, you know, craft a couple of other characters, usually I have to have a few other characters so there can be some kind of conflict or problem, maybe it's a direct report. And um, I, it, you know, Beyond is great, because they have so many characters to pick from, you can just choose like a couple choices, throw on different jacket colors on them and just hand it to the to the practitioners or the SME and say, well, which one do you want? They pick one, and then I build from there. I see. So that's so beyond makes it really easy because it's like, you know, a set thing. And in storyline, of course, you have a similar thing. They're less customizable, um, which is OK. But I mean, I tend to like to really customize my characters So I, that, and, you know, I can't get the storyline characters to move around. So, right. yes. so that's one of the reasons that I don't usually work with storyline characters as much. But you can. And those those characters, if, again, it's just a matter of having them pick who they want and going forward i'd say the one one of the challenges in working with storyline though is that um and using the stock characters is that if for instance you built the whole character set you've built the whole story out mm-hmm. and then they come back and say you know i don't like that character i want to change it. i mean you hope this never happens right but it does oh, and i actually you know when things like that happen that's when I'm glad I'm using Beyond because Beyond has the capability of you saying this character here, substitute it with this character here, nice. you know, change the color of a jacket. I done, it, it can be done in like three clicks. Right. And that's huge. If your story is like, you know, seven minutes long and you've got like, I don't know, 50 yeah. slides, yes. you do not want to be in there like fixing every slide. Little yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so there's some advantages in my mind to using Beyond, but Uh, storyline characters can work as well. You just have to nail the the people down at the beginning, say, hey, you you choose this thing, that's Mm -hmm. down, that's in stone. Don't change it anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully they agree to it and you go on. Right,
0: right. Yeah. um, Another um, logistical question. So stories also come in different formats, right? So you have the traditional, you know, happy problem solution kind of format, right? then there's the and i'm talking about netflix right so you have mm-hmm. netflix where a lot of um, a lot of stories start with uh, with reverse engineering right so three hours ago five hours ago and then they lead up to the main event
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and there are several in between i'm just giving two samples several formats what are the different formats that you tend to use for interactive stories um are there certain formats that lend better to interactive stories than others? And what has resonated with the audience?
1: Mostly? Mm, that's a very good question. So let me think. Um, I think in terms of just the storytelling, you can, I mean, you know, you're sort of a creative director when you're creating an interactive story, right? I mean, within the realm, now, of course, you might have, it might be limited. Like, you can't have this thing be more than, say, seven minutes long. So, you know, you've got to work with it. So you can't have this huge backflash. But, you know, you could have a a flashback happen somewhere in the story, as long as it it fits. So I'd say I tend to, I don't want to get super, like, I mean, you know, you're not Steven Spielberg, so you don't need to, like, have this huge, incredible like storytelling methodology. Mm -hmm. You need something that works to to get engagement and to get the behavior change. So for that reason, my stories tend to be more following the hero's journey, where you just start with a character that's having a bad situation of some type. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of an inciting incident. And then they have their they might need a mentor, but they might not. I mean, it depends. And then, you know, you just have your challenges, maybe four to seven challenges. Those are the decision points. And then you've got a happy ending. Now in that structure, what I just described, that is assuming that you're using what I call a mastery loop, where Mm -hmm. instead of, this is not a branching scenario in its truest form. You don't have like five different alternate endings. You've got one ending that's the happy ending, Mm -hmm. but at each decision point, you have three choices. And if they choose in, po- choose poorly in this case, then, you know, you'll see the consequence play out and then you'll have the chance to make the decision again. again and then okay. you go on to the next decision. So that is what I call a mastery loop structure. That is easier from a developer standpoint to create than to create something that has, say, three alternate endings. Right. The, th- the alternate ending methods, they are sometimes called for and are then they work but it requires you to use variables to track what decisions they make and at some point you need to split and choose which ending you're going to show them and that is just a more complex version mm-hmm. to create. I mean I could do that and I mean I think that there are times that it co- it's comfortable it's sometimes it's not mm-hmm. and generally you want to do the simplest solution that fits. I see. Right? I see. Yeah. Um,
0: I, another variation of the same format question. Um, you've done a youtube youtube series or episode on the 10 different types of interactive videos mm-hmm. there's you know i want to showcase that i know you can't you can't go into into the depth of each but just to showcase the entire spectrum of the different types of interactive stories um what what, what are the different types that you have designed or or is in the market at the moment
1: yeah yeah that's a good question so they, i mean within for instance my the, the types of interactive videos that i design um, there are three types. There's the live video type, mm-hmm. which I describe, where there's pre-existing video. There's animated. Vion is the method I use, and you've got either the you know business-friendly characters or the more streamlined, you know, contemporary characters. And then there's the what I call—I actually don't have story uh, storyline characters as one of my portfolio pieces. I just don't do those generally, but I could, I guess, if I really had to. But so the third type that I do or that is done is an, a custom illustrated. stories those are fabulous they look so beautiful because you hire basically what i've done is i've hired a professional illustrator to Mm -hmm. illustrate the story so it has a very custom design feeling to it you can create any environment that reflects the actual organization Mm -hmm. because it's being written designed by an illustrator so those those are three types of, of uh interactive stories right there and then another type would be um i would say there's, there's the the parts that are in the, um, th- this is not necessarily in my top 10 list, but it's just a type that I want to mention because I mm-hmm. think it's going to be prevalent, is that the ones that are used for marketing, they're more basically, you know, ads, Basically, they're shoppable ads, okay? okay so okay. shoppable ads is a type of story that is a very small, you're not going to hear that whole story arc, it's a small ad, but it shows some kind of a nice emotional interaction and then you get the opportunity to purchase what the character is wearing. I buy that guy's coat, right? So although that's not really what, I don't classify that as interactive story from a training development standpoint, but I want to mention it because I think there are people, I mean, maybe your listeners too, who are in the marketing field that need to know that this new type of interactive shoppable ad is going to be huge. In the future, that is the way, I think that interactivity is going to be, become the prevalent way that shopping is done. we're so close to it now. So I don't want to ignore that piece. It's just not what I do. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's another piece. There was another one. And this is all coming from uh, because on my on my website, I've got this, this PDF, that's like, you know, the 10 top interactive videos, you know, and so one of them was, you know, I almost is not really correct to call it an interactive video, it was really a simulation. Okay, this was something that was created by PepsiCo. And it was during the, the COVID pandemic, when it started out, there was a guy he was this, he was a Lean Six Sigma instructor. Mm-hmm. And he needed a way to teach his people, which normally is a hands-on workshop experience. A they he wanted to have them play through the simulation that in which they learned Six Sigma principles, Lean Six Sigma principles. Right. And since he couldn't do that because they were all remote, um, his son said, Hey, why don't you do something in Minecraft? And he mocked up a That's Minecraft amazing. simulation, like the kid, the kid put it together in like, I don't know, something like 30 hours, he just, we just wow. put together the thing charges 100 bucks and said, here's this thing, you know, use it. Well, they saw this, PepsiCo saw this and said, Oh, my gosh, we need to use this. Mm-hmm. So they put together a team that included like, you know, some professional Minecraft creators and you know of course their lead six sigma team they put together an entire simulation that is taking place in a crafted a customized minecraft world mm-hmm. that is a pepsico warehouse simulation thing and they're all playing that remotely and that is the way they do their training for lead six sigma now
0: wow i mean
1: wow right yeah. Yeah. so it's another that's that's a different it's not really so much a story as that's a, a human facilitated because they're actually human beings who are facilitating this okay. it's a simulation but it definitely has a story element to it i mean you're in a minecraft world this fantasy element and they are trying to get from a beginning point to an end point and they're Mm -hmm. facing challenges along the way Mm -hmm. but it allows for collaboration to take place too so they're working together as teams so it's team building and i to me that was one of the most fascinating types of interactive video that's out there it's like this different you know collaborative hybrid type of Mm -hmm. i don't know you know immersive world
0: environment so
1: that was almost
0: like an alternate reality right
1: almost yeah now of course that's not fully immersive so the other the other type i mean of course you have you know you've got entertainment is a huge field for interactive stories and you see those netflix has the you versus wild series they've got bandersnatch you've got more and that will crop up more and more But that's purely entertainment so again it's not something i do but it's it's a type that you need to be aware of and we Mm -hmm. can borrow from learn Mm -hmm. from um but then of course the last area that i think is going to become huge is anything that's using ar and vr right and that is because already in the gaming industry that is a known accepted way to experience Some kind of a story. Now, maybe it's a gaming thing, but it's a very short step away to say, well, then we're going to now begin training, you know, doctors. Well, they actually this exists out there right Right. now, you know, how to train doctors uh, or or medical professionals, how to put on and take off, um, you know, like the protective equipment. Right. That can be a simulation that's done with VR headsets. You're not actually using up the equipment. You're not using any supplies when they're putting fake masks on and off, mm-hmm. but they're learning how to do it in a simulated environment and um, it's completely safe.
0: Right.
1: And it doesn't use any materials. I mean, how great is that? So those kinds of simulations I think are going to become more prevalent in the future. But I would say for the training and development and the typical training that we do as instructional designers, you know, it's not necessary. I mean, unless you're working with an environment that is inherently hazardous, mm-hmm. you probably don't. It's probably OK to stick with the 2D methods for now. I see. I
0: see. You know, that's it's just I keep
1: my I keep. I, oh, there's a little part of my brain that's like, you know, you always got that uh, what shiny object syndrome thing. You know, yeah. there's a part of my brain that says, OK, I'm going to keep an eye on that industry. Yes. See what's being done, you know. I mean, yes. I follow B- Betty Danowitz and you know Dester Hildebrand, right? I mean, you want to know what's happening and keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. But for the work that I actually do, I'm not producing that material um, I because I just don't think that it's called for in most. And so the so the cost, the investment from the company, the client is not called for. Right. you know i might right. sell them yeah. sometimes yeah. more and, that, and, that, and that's know, more and right? more on the expensive end of, of it's ex- oh design. yeah definitely yeah. it definitely yeah. is expensive because the oh, tools yeah. will be different and the you know and they're they're not as well tested out
0: yes yes
1: yeah so those are um, those are the main ones
0: yeah thank you thank you for sharing them mm-hmm. um So I want to I'm kind of tempted to dive um, to kind of dissect your war zone and your confident contractor if you're up Uh on it. Sure. Um, Yeah. So let's start with the war zone. Can you if you were to break it down into different components because we are seeing once it's all all been constructed, you, you know, we are watching it as a seamless hook story interactions, all of it coming together. I want you to kind of pull the curtain behind and dissect the different components of the war zone and what went into constructing it.
1: Mm, Yeah, that's a very good question. So Workplace war zone. for those that aren't familiar with it, it was created, I created it for an organization called EMC Leaders, which Mm. stands for Emotional Connection. And so they, they have a masterclass that teaches people how to do emotional connection and it's, you know, kind of leadership development. And they wanted a tool that would get the word out about their, their, um, Masterclass. Mm-hmm. So we created a interactive story and this happens to be one that's illustrated and also has um, professional voiceover for the characters. Mm-hmm. So it's a very full, it's a very like, it's not cin- cinematic in that, I mean, the characters are not moving because they're illustrations, but it has a cinematic feel to it because you actually have characters talking in the in the video as you play through it. So the way that that was constructed, of course, I mean, I did my practitioner interviews, you know, talked to the people who actually are coaching their coach, their certified coaches within the EMC world. Um, I spoke to them about what are the challenges that they face when they work with their clients, and maybe their clients aren't, you know, like, what are the what are the barriers? Why do people not want to use the emotional connection methodology? I mean, for one thing, they're like, you know, what is this list of emotions that sounds stupid I mean in their brain they're thinking this sounds dumb so so when I talked to the illustrator and I mean I crafted up the different decisions I I had a great time working with the illustrator because I was able to tell her okay so when the lady when you come to that decision and the lady's like the guy hands her hands this is the boss Mm -hmm. he's speaking to his subordinate his Steve is his name and he's he's talking to his subordinate. He hands her a sheet that's the list of emotions, which is an actual job aid in mm-hmm. the emotional connection um, methodology. So this is a real thing. And the, and and, the, and and so she he hands it to her and you see this look at her she's like like and the, and then this speech bubble pops up and what's right. this for? Right. You know you hear the person actually saying in you know, a this kind of sarcastic voice, what's this for? I don't see right. how this is going to help. Yeah. And that I mean, they may not actually verbalize it, but people think when yes. <laughs> like they first see this list of emotions, because generally speaking, emotions aren't allowed into the workplace. I mean, yes. you know, people don't Thinking talk about it speaking thoughts. Yes. Right. But if you don't address emo, if you don't address those emotional intelligence issues or those right. emotional connection issues, you miss a huge possibility for engagement and for res- business results, right. because people are inhibited because, you know, their emotions aren't being addressed. So that's kind of what we're, we're just trying to give them a taste. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the challenge is if you play through that, um, that that interactive story, you're not going to get the full experience of the EMC masterclass. I mean, obviously it's like yeah. oh, it's two to three minutes long, so there's no way it's a snippet. It's just enough to give you a flavor for what could happen in an organization if you in, you know, use this product, as opposed to what might happen if you don't. And in right. the end, if you don't, if you if you like, kind of choose the non non emotionally intelligent choices, which are typical things like brainstorm solutions is a is one of the options, right? And normally, you would be like, yeah, I'll brainstorm solutions. But if the other choice was to, to validate her emotions, the, the person you're speaking to is upset, you validate You know, I, you know, I sense that you're feeling uncomfortable. Do you want to, you know, tell me about that? That's a chance to validate an emotion as opposed to, Hey, let's brainstorm solutions. So if you choose the brainstorm solutions and you choose things like it for too long at the end, Steve the boss loses his job because his, his the project is like screwed up and sales are down and his whole team has quit. And I mean, you know, so he, so the consequence at the end of that, that's an alternate ending. He loses his job. And he's like, Oh, what did I do wrong? Right. And then and then you have the opportunity to download a PDF that's about, you know, like I don't know, five tips to, you know, increase your emotional intelligence and it goes on from there and eventually leads you to having an opportunity to purchase the master class. So that's that's kind of and of course, you know, if you do well, he like wins. You know, Employee of the Year award right. at the end. Yeah. So there's yeah. and there's middle ground too. So that was the way Workplace Warzone was. It was a very interesting project because it was different mediums to work in. Yes. Not every client wants that. I mean, you don't have to have voiceover and professional illustrations. It's cool mm-hmm. when you do. So. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And but the budget also depends on the budget, right? That's
1: exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So not most clients, they'll look at it and they're like, oh, that looks really cool. I wish I could right. do that. But then they choose Beyond because Beyond is cheaper. Right, you know,
0: yeah, everything simpler. comes pre-built in that.
1: Exactly, um, yeah.
0: Let's talk about Confident Contractor because that was a mm-hmm. live video, right? So can you dissect the components yeah. of that one for me?
1: Yeah, so that one, so so Confident Contractor is around, it's based around a, a there, there's a company that has contractors that have to be trained up mm-hmm. to meet the standards that the company expects. And so you've got, it was actually a regular training video that was produced in which the, the trainer, is working with a new contractor who's come on board and they are talking through what are the different challenges. And so you, this is the, the original script was, the, you know, what challenges are they facing? You know, How high, when you mow the lawn, this is um, the situation to give you a backstory on it is that these are houses, uh, homes that are maybe uh, have been repossessed. And they have to, this company's job is to bring them up to standard so they can be sold on today's real estate market. So it's to enhance curb appeal. All right. So that's their job. And so there's very specific standards they have to meet. The the lawn can only be, you know, I don't know, one inch. I don't know if it was one or one and a half inches high. The lawn actually had to be a certain level of height. Mm -hmm. The the edges of the lawn had to be trimmed with an edger, not any other equipment. I mean, there were very specific things that, so you see, as you watch through the linear video that was given, you know, that I started with, it's a long linear video, but there are decision points in them that are based around these decisions, these Mm -hmm. these particular types of things that they're training on. So I would stop the video at that point, add in the decision. So, you know, you go for do you use an edger? Do you use your lawnmower? Or do you use your cutting blades? You know, and I if see. you choose incorrectly, of course, it's mastery loop again. Okay. And when you when you choose correctly, it just goes on. So, of course, the challenge when working with live video, generally, mm-hmm. is there is no alternate. There's no consequences available because when they filmed that original live footage, nobody thought about you know yeah. like they what is what would happen up if short, they just straight shot through. the whole thing
0: and give it to you exactly.
1: Yeah. So in those cases, I mean, you have to work with what you have. And I'm not going to like fake out, you know, so I just use voiceover narration. To give a description as to why that doesn't work, you know, and then just hey, you know, basically it's like kind of like hey, that's not quite right. Try something else. Mm-hmm. So you you just urge them to try something else, and eventually they'll choose the right thing. When they do choose the right thing, it's natural for the story to progress. And I think what was challenging about this video was that when it comes to you, when videos come to you like this, they are not a story format. Right. I mean, it's a linear progression of of operational procedures that need to happen and someone is instructing someone else. So I had to create a story feeling to bookend it on the beginning Mm -hmm. and the end. Mm -hmm. And what I did, particularly at the beginning, that was the most important. Um, I borrowed what uh, Martin Percy, who's a a famous director, he's an interactive video director that I follow. Mm -hmm. So he has a couple of interactive videos that are out there, most notably Lifesaver, and then another one, Real Talk About Suicide. I, I borrowed his methods. At the beginning, I wanted to give the person who was viewing it the sense that they were that character, just a little bit of a kick, of a because you know that you're not that character, right. but you have to let the person feel that they are part of this story somehow. So at the very beginning, you see the interaction between the trainer and trainee, and then I freeze the frame, change it to, I think, black and white. I can't remember how I ended up doing that. And then like focus in on this guy, the train trainee. It's your first day on the job. Right. You are, it's your first day as a, as a contractor, you know, with this company and you're, you just make the training instructor, you're feeling a bit nervous. What do you do? You know, and then it goes on. And so then you've now identified yourself as this is you, mm-hmm. you are the person who has to make these decisions. And as you make the decisions, you see your score going up and down based on if you made the first choose correctly the first time. Right. So there's a little bit of assessment going on, but there's nothing, but you know, you're really not penalized for it if you guess incorrectly. So you can make mistakes, you can make mistakes in a safe place, but there is tracking going on in case the company wants to actually track this in their LMS, they can. I mean, I don't think it's necessary. So, you know, at the end you are told, you know, you, you know, like you're told what your score is and you see a, ch- a rating chart. I mean, you know, green is good. That means you scored correctly the first time on each of those decisions, you scored correctly the first time you get green. And then, you know, it goes all the way down to red, you know, you didn't right. score any right. And so then you can give them a call to action at the end, whatever it is the client wants. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the, so I think live video is interesting because it really works if the client is has already got live video that lends itself to this sort of thing. I mean, you can create any type of training out of live video, but there's certain types that work better than others. And that was a particular one that I thought worked really well.
0: Right, right. And and yeah. that lends in, into another question is, is the purpose behind what are some of the L&D purposes for which interactive stories can be used? And it seems like the list is endless. You can use them for corporate training. You can use them for process training, workflows. It, there's there's no limitation on it. But I
1: still yeah, want to hear it. it. Is think. there is there a, is there, there, are, thinking I think there are software?
0: software simulation maybe i don't know because there's a lot of yeah. software
1: simulations software that happen. Simulation would be one i mean you can do basic motivational training like for instance if the reason that people aren't using the software is a motivational issue mm-hmm. like they you just they right. don't they it's hard to learn then it makes sense to have a story because you can show and that i did that with that other um portfolio piece that I have that's um, for for ATD, actually, okay. in which, you know, you're, you've you got a new interface that people aren't familiar with, a new tool, right. and the main character is struggling with a problem of people not doing things well, and then she starts using the tool, and it illustrates the use of the tool. Without getting to a lot of detail in the nitty-gritty of the tool itself, it's more about what happens if she chooses to use it or doesn't choose to use it. So that's addressing the motivational piece, right which, interestingly, is one of those pieces that in Kathy Moore's, uh, you know, action mapping, she kind of doesn't address the motivational piece so much. She says, like, that's up to the client to solve it. Mm -hmm. With interactive stories, you have the opportunity to solve motivational problems. And that's one of the beauties of it, because it's a story. So when you're done, the people are like, kind of motivated to use it, because they've seen what happens if you don't. So software simulation, you don't want to train technical stuff, because really, it's just not worth it. You should just have a screen capture and, you know, traditional training demos, and i was yeah so the other thing is that this is one of the reasons why i i my focus tends to be leadership training emotional intelligence training communications training operational training it's like that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. as opposed to um you know, compliance training. I mean, that's just, I mean, you can do this for compliance you training.
0: You can, yes. There are limitations, yes. You I can just, build a me, scenario I, around it.
1: Yeah. You could build it. And some people actually, there are people in the interactive storytelling community under Amazon Reynolds who do that. They folk, they like are good at doing this for compliance training. It is not my area of interest or expertise. So I just, I don't do compliance training mm-hmm. that I tell people that right up front. I just don't do that. Um, and part of the reason is because I think that companies just don't value compliance training the way that they value sales training yes. because sales training brings in money the revenue mm-hmm. or you know operational training prevents mistakes right so you know Versus it's the worth check it. the box compliance uh-huh. yeah. so it's worth it to pay for these things because from a revenue from an ROI standpoint it is totally worth paying for that interactive video so i can get a boost in sales right or so right. they make people make less mistakes right that's really important to the c-suite right they yes. want that so complaints well yeah people will be more engaged when they go through the you know the hippo i mean they're like yeah. well, why should i bother i mean right. you've already got something that works it may right. not be the best right. but that to me is a space where traditional e-learning would be better more cost effective that's, that's how so. i look at it. it's more cost effective to use traditional e-learning for the compliance training I see. and it's better to use interactive stories where it really can make a huge difference for right, the basis that's right. just how i view it
0: right no mm-hmm. i completely agree with
1: you. but you, you could is. use it you totally can use it for compliance training and i've seen yes. it done well yes. So, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. You have to just construct a scenario around what the the meat of the matter is.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Kimberly, yeah. it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Last question: mm-hmm. uh, If there's a client who wants to work with you, or there is a designer who wants to reach out to you, how can they find you?
1: Yeah. Thank you for asking. So the best way to do it is, I would say, to I mean. I'm, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, first yes. of all, and look for Kimberly Go. that's spelled G-O-H at the ah. end. Um, but my website is theinteractivestory.com. Yes. And um, I think that you'll probably share that in the description, right? So yeah, the, the the website shows my portfolio and it shows the, actually break it down. Like this is my my workflow, the methodology that I use. So you can kind of see those. Wonderful. And there's a way to contact me. I've got a, you know, let's talk button in the corner. Yes. And I'd say the third way to contact me is like t- um, I have a YouTube channel. This is more for people who are you know, just interested in kind of seeing things that are a little more behind the scenes of how interactive video is created or if you're just generally interested in what is interactive video. Um, I have a YouTube channel in which I talk about tips and tools for interactive video. And that one, um, I hopefully you'll have the link for that as well. Because that's a definitely. that's an easy that's an easy way to engage with just like seeing what I do and maybe learning some tips. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think YouTube you're being is...
0: modest about it. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I have yeah, to say that you. that YouTube channel is a am- it has a wealth of resources. Yes, I will yeah. definitely share your website and your YouTube channel in the notes. It's been a t- true pleasure, Kimberly. Thank you again for taking the time to speak with me this evening.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.